This morning when I was doing my final prep, I was, it was strong upon me to pray a specific prayer. So if you wouldn't mind, I want to be obedient to that. So if we could just join again here in prayer. Um, Father, I, I want to be obedient to, um, to those promptings as they come. And so, Lord, uh, with my brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, we come before you. We come before you prior to this message on pressing in and against strong men that are of a spiritual nature. Uh, beings that we don't fully understand, uh, beings that are stronger than we are on our own and that we can't readily see uh, the full extent of. We pray for your eyes to open our eyes and we pray that we would be protected in this moment, um, that no weapon formed against us would prosper as we press into this teaching. Lord, we also um, want to pray as we get into the application of this strong word that you have for us and this sometimes confusing teaching, we pray, Lord, that of those four things, we wouldn't see all four as one impossible mountain, but rather that your Holy Spirit would convict each one of us as individuals on one of these, more so than the others, and that you would give us a specific um, step forward for our lives that we could experience more victory than we do. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Hey, if you're new, I don't do that every week. Um, I just want to try to do the best I can to be obedient um, when I hear things or I think I'm, I'm hearing some things. Because we are pressing into a really challenging and fascinating text. Uh, this is week three of a three-part series where we've been looking at a specific text in Mark chapter 9 where Jesus had just been off praying with a couple of his disciples. They had this really cool experience up on this mountaintop. They come down where the rest of the disciples were, and the rest of the disciples were surrounded by all these folks, and there was this big commotion because there was this kid who was possessed by an unclean spirit. And the disciples had had some experience with this before. They had been able to cast some of these things out, these demonic forces, but this time they came up against a kind that, that they couldn't cast out. And so we've been looking at this text where this account happened. Um, and what we're going to press into today, you can write this down in your notes if you like. We have a place to jot this down. Here's a question we're going to wrestle with today. How do we effectively bind these strong men that the scriptures say are out there and that maybe some of you have felt you've come up against before? How do we bind these things? How do we effectively bind the strong men that threaten us? Uh, we're going to talk about beings that Jesus, and we're going to show you the text uh, where he uses this language that the Bible refers to as strong men. We're going to look at this today, and we're going to talk about what would God have us to do to bind them and, and to cast them out. Now, one of the things that I see from the scriptures and also from experience is that the influence that these things can have on us, there's a range. There's a range of influence. And the range I think that we've all experienced, well, not I think, the range that we all have experienced is temptation. We've all been tempted to do things that we know are foolish, we know are wrong, we know are not good to us, and we're tempted anyway. Well, where does that come from? It comes from these beings. So, so we have that. And then that influence that these things can have go all the way to full-blown possession that we see here in the scripture. So somewhere in that continuum, each of us wrestle with these things. And sometimes we come up against these strong men where they appear so strong, we can't overcome the temptation or we're further on that continuum and we feel addicted and we can't break free from that all the way from maybe some of you have been in those situations where you're like, I am in the presence of something that is possessing this person. So we're going to be looking at this really fascinating, but also kind of scary and challenging subject today. But what I want to do as we introduce it, I want to try to make it practical. 
Because what I have seen more than anything else in this area is I've seen people over-spiritualize the spiritual battle. I don't know if that, okay, a bunch of you know what I'm talking about. I've seen people over-spiritualize the spiritual battle where they treat this differently than they treat everything else in their life, which is also spiritual, right? And so I want to make this very practical. So we have this example that I want to use um, that we started at the beginning of the series with this guy over here. We got Clay Matthews back with us. I know he's got a busy afternoon plan, so we're really thankful that he is here with us. Um, But he's going to be representative of these strong men because... Our team, my favorite team anyway, the, the Vikings came up against his team a couple weeks ago and they knocked us out of the playoffs because we were not able to overcome those strong men. Well, uh, he served up a really good object lesson for us this week and I want to have Dan come forward because Dan is our resident Giants fan. Um, number one Giants fan we got here in our congregation and Pastor Dan is going to tell you what happened when his team came up against... Oh, you're not... You're even, wow. There we go. He's taking it from this angle. What happened when his team came against this strong man? Well, I just thought I should start by saying hi to my good buddy, Clay Matthews. Um, So, yes, I am the resident Giants fan. Uh, I was actually at a church gathering for the first half, and we did really great until I got home uh, and saw the the end of the first half where the Giants uh, gave up a Hail Mary classic Aaron Rodgers style. But the play in question where, where... Mr. Clay Matthews really stepped up was uh, where he did what he usually does and just pretended like we don't have an offensive line and walked past them and sacked Eli Manning. Eli goes back to try and do something, which he wasn't really able to do all game. He pulls back to throw, and Clay just swats the football downfield. And everyone is just watching as this strong man, Clay Matthews, goes, destroys Eli Manning, and everyone thinks it's a forward pass. So everyone is just standing watching like, wow, he's really good. And Clay Matthews sacks Eli Manning and then runs 15 yards down the field, pushes one of our players out of the way, and recovers the fumble. And I'm, you know, I saw most of the play through my fingers. Like, <laughs> and it was just the most disheartening thing that I've ever experienced because that was our last chance. Like before that play, I had a little bit of hope that was smoldering that I was hoping I could kindle back into a fire of victory. <laughs> and that was just crushed and dismantled by Clay Matthews. So... Please share in my sorrow. Yeah. And either. Oh, the Vikings yeah. fan, we do. Yeah, we do. So, <laughs> so th- there. Thanks for letting me <laughs> yeah. relive that. That yeah, was great. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so if anyone can help counsel Pastor Dan after uh, he's done with the tweens, that'd be great. Um, we, we bring this up because you've got to account for strong men, right? To this afternoon, when these guys go up against Dallas, Dallas has got to account for the strong men. If they don't, they're going to be in trouble. Because if you don't account for a strong man, they can come in. You've got to be aware of their schemes, right? If you know football and the scripture, you've got to be aware of their schemes. And one of the things that I've seen, this mistake that I've seen people make, is I've seen Christians do this in the spiritual realm. They say, Satan, you have no authority here. Or, or, or demon, you have no authority here. When sometimes they do. When Clay is in our backfield, if he's playing by the rules, we could be yelling from the sidelines, hey, you got no authority in our stadium. Hey, you have no authority in our backfield. But if he's playing by the rules, he does. And so saying that he has no authority doesn't matter. You're, you're, it's just you're speaking to the wind. What we want to look at today, one of the things that we're going to look at today anyway, is how can we speak with authority? Do we know the rules? So that when we speak to these, when we challenge these powers and principalities, we have that authority that's in Christ that we can speak to them. Or are we just saying stuff that they can laugh at, right? 
So that's one of the things we're going to look at today as we press into this whole idea of these strong men. There's some real practical stuff here today that we're going to do the best we can to unpack. If we're going to get serious about this, it's going to require some decisions and disciplines on our part. And there was this great quote that I came across as I was reading another book. If those of you who are into leadership, I highly recommend the book called Spiritual Leadership. Um, Here's a quote from it that speaks to what we're talking about today. Uh, The author writes, it is one thing to believe that we have power, right? The power of Jesus that we can speak into this world. It's one thing to believe that such power is available. It's another thing to what? To practice it. It is the supreme dignity and glory of the human creature to be able to say yes or no to God. There are things that we can do in our lives that matter when it comes to this area. So we want to look at best practices today. And I can't think of a better way to look at best practices than to look at Jesus. So let's take a look. There's a place to write this in your notes too. Jesus of Nazareth never encountered a strong man that he couldn't overpower. Can I get an amen to that? He never came across a strong man that he couldn't overpower. So what we've been looking at in this series, what can we learn about powerful prayer from the one who demonstrated authority over nature, demons, sickness, and even death itself? What can we learn about casting out from unclean or about casting out unclean spirits? Let me try that again. What can we learn about casting out unclean spirits from the one who never was deceived or manipulated or controlled by them? All right, well, the passage, that's enough with the intro. But the passage that we've been looking at, we'll look at here again for those who weren't here for the first two um, and also to refresh those who were. Um, Let's look at this. It comes from Mark chapter 9, starting with verse 14. And I want to let you know, too, if you don't have a Bible at home, we'd love to give you one free. Each and every week, we keep a stack of them at those tables. They're there for you. Please take one so that you can dig into these texts as well. Here's the passage we've been studying. Mark chapter 9, starting with verse 14. And when Jesus and James and John and Peter, no, yeah, Peter, James, John, when they came back to the other disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes are arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered Jesus, teacher, I brought my son to you for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out and they were not able. And Jesus answered them, oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to Jesus. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy and he fell on the ground and he rolled about foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into the fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said, if you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. And immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw the crowd was coming together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out. The boy was like a corpse. So most of them said he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And Jesus said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. All right, let's dig into this text. Ready? 
Ready? Okay, you're ready. She's ready. All right, good. Um, Now, in the spirit of full disclosure, I want to circle back to something that we started to talk about in week one, and that is why do we think this wasn't a seizure? We're modern minds, right? We have medical diagnosis. Why do we think this was not a seizure? And there are certainly a number of scholars out there who would say that this wasn't a demonic encounter at all. It was simple um, people who at the time had these myths and they had these superstitions and they thought there was a demon. I want to just quickly address that. And I want to start addressing it by saying we have to be careful that we don't get blinded by pride as moderns. There were so many folks, in fact, I have no way of statistically knowing this, but my guess would be that we have people who are the ancients who understood the basic nature of reality better than we do. Why do I say that? I say that because you try to go and live with no running water. I just mean live, just survive. You try to survive with no running water, no medical care, um, growing or finding all of your own food. Some of these things that are just basic to people throughout the, the years, things that we can't do. I, I may, may I present to you that, that many of the ancients were more in touch with reality than we are. I had an example uh, that happened in our office recently that, that, I, that brought this to light, at least for me. Um, we have, up until now, been using this... Uh, actually, throughout our church, we've had to upgrade our printers throughout our, our time. And so our lease was coming up on our existing printer, so we brought in the people, and they said, here's what you need. And they were experts. I mean, they really knew their stuff. They knew this equipment, very sophisticated equipment. And they said, now you guys are growing, plus you have all these other people using you know, your equipment. There's all these other groups because we let other churches and stuff use our stuff. And, and so um, they said, this is the one you're going to need. And we're like, okay, they sound really smart, so... Right? But they, and they said the best thing here is that you guys can just plug it in where your other one is. So like, woo yay. And so they drop off these packages, which are like the size of a minivan, right? Now we got this massive nuclear-powered, you know, thing down there. And of course it doesn't plug in where the other one did. You know, we would shut down all the shore view if we tried plugging in there. So, so long story short, and thank God for Becca navigating this world for us, we had to cut into our walls. We had to add new stuff in our fuse box. We had to do all kinds of things that the very smart people, and I'm serious, they were really smart. They knew that machine that they didn't understand about electricity 101. Here's my point. Anyone ever heard of Thomas Edison before? Okay, Thomas Edison. Thomas Edison would know much less about that printer than those printer people knew. But even though he was an ancient, (laughs) he understood the basics of electricity better than they did. Does that make sense? And we can be like that when it comes to medicine and the demonic world because right in this room right here, there are all kinds of electrical wires and there's, there's signals and there's all kinds of stuff that we can't see with our eyes that powers this world around us. May I present to you that in the spiritual realm that is also true. And even if we can't see all the constructs with our eyes, it is there, it is real. And for the, since the dawn of humanity, there are people who've been able to understand it well. And the biblical authors fit into that category. Why do I say that? Let's take a look. In the Bible, let's look at the book of Matthew just quickly. We're going to come out of Mark to look at Matthew to help us better understand Mark. So in Matthew chapter 4, starting with verse 23, Matthew says this. He says, Jesus went through all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. Now, before we get on to the seizures part, I want to just pause on this for a second because this is very important to something we're going to talk about later. What word comes before the words disease and affliction? Every. 
every. That is a vitally important concept if we're going to talk about strong men. Jesus Christ, when he walked the earth as most of us do, he gave us a glimpse of the life that is to come because Jesus Christ has authority over every disease, over every affliction. And there will come a day when all will be as it should be and he will cast out every strong man, every disease, every affliction. Can I get an amen? That, oh, I'm glad you had enthusiasm because that we need to hold on to that hope. There will be a day when he will take that full authority and it'll all be gone. We're not to that day yet. And so we see these isolated instances where that happens and occurs in this world. All right, we're going to come back to that in a few minutes. Here's what I want to show you about Caesars and the demonic and the ancient world. The very next verse, Matthew writes, Jesus' fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by what? Demons. So they identified demons as this category, and those having what? Seizures. Did the ancients differentiate? At least were there some ancients who were able to look and say, this is a demon, this one's not. Apparently, there were people that did differentiate. Now, you'll see up on the screens here, I have a cross-reference. That cross-reference in Matthew 17 is where Matthew takes on the account that we're looking at in Mark 9. Does that make sense? So both Mark and Matthew are talking about the same thing. And in Matthew 17, Matthew, who can distinguish between seizures and the demonic, says, in this situation that we're talking about in Mark 9, this is not a seizure unless there's a demonic influence influencing the seizure. This is different. This is an unclean spirit, and this kind isn't coming out the way the other ones came out. This is a strong man. Now, let's go back to Mark. Where do I even get this language of strong man? Um, it was sure convenient for this uh, object lesson, but I didn't make this up. This comes from Mark chapter 3. Mark says this as he's talking, he's quoting Jesus. These are the words of Jesus and the context. You can go ahead and look it up yourself. The context here, he's talking about the kingdom of, of Satan, all right? And so he says this within that context. No one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he does what first? Unless he binds up the strong man. So how do we bind this kind of unclean spirit, the really strong kind? Well, we're going to look at the example and teaching of Jesus. Now, all four of these things that we're going to look at apply to all four of us, or all four of us. These four things apply to all of us, right? It's a package. But today, I don't want to look, have you look at it as a package. At least, I don't think we're supposed to. I think, as best I can discern, I think each of us should look at one of these and ask the Holy Spirit to convict us on one and focus on that today. All right, so as we're going through this, maybe you've never, in fact, I guarantee that many people have never tried this before. Just right now, let's just do this right, let's do a little exercise. Holy Spirit, bring to light, highlight one of these for us, the one you would have for us in Jesus' name, amen. All right, here's the first one. First one, we started this discussion last week. Carve out time on your calendar for prayer and scripture reading. Jason did an outstanding job of taking us through prayer last week. So I'd, I'd encourage you to go back if you missed last week and listen to that. What I want to do is to keep us moving here and talk about scripture because those two things go hand in hand. You want to carve out time for both of those if you want to be serious about addressing these strong men. 
What was true for Jesus in regard to prayer, it is also true when it comes to scriptures. There is a direct link to prayer and to casting out. As there is a direct link between scripture and casting out, here's an example from the book of Mark if we start at the beginning. Mark chapter 1, verses 12 through 13. We see this. The Spirit immediately drove Jesus into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness for 40 days, and which strong man came at him? Satan! Is there a stronger strong man? If there is, I don't know of one. If there is, the Bible isn't explicit that there is. It talks about him as this prince. It talks about some kind of hierarchy or something. And so he is being tempted by the possibly strongest of the strong men. And we're going to look at how, many of you already know this, how scripture came into play here. What did the, in fact, if we could go to the next um, slide, please. What happened in this temptation in the wilderness, the adversary, he actually came and he said, okay, Jesus, you've got this need that humans have. Here's what the scripture says about that. You know? And in each one of those situations, Jesus, because he knew the scriptures, was able to recognize that that was incomplete or twisted or both. And he was able to take the scripture that was being thrown his way and he said, oh, it is written. Look what he does. And I never noticed this progression before. This happens three times and each time Jesus gets stronger and stronger against this strong man and says, it is written. And the devil tries it again. Again, he says, it is written. The devil tries it the third time and he just goes, be gone, Satan, for it is written. Knowing what the Bible says is important, but possessing Bible knowledge is like having one wing of an airplane. Because here's what Jesus said right after he steps out of the wilderness. So Jesus has demonstrated, he knows the scripture, he steps out of the wilderness, and now this is it. He is starting his ministry. This is his first hundred days. And we've looked at this before as a congregation. This is his inauguration speech. He comes out and he says what? He says, repent and believe the gospel. Repentance means to align, to turn, to, to stop going away that is not right and turn and go away that is right. It's about not just knowing these things, but aligning our life with them. And that brings us to number two. So number one is about carving out. Are you carving out? Are you making a priority to pray, to learn the word of God? Number two is related to that. It's not just to carve out, but to then cast out. To cast out, to cast out selfish motives and sinful behaviors and anything else that you got to cast out. And again, I want to make this practical, practical, because a lot of times we, we put this up into a mystical realm that is not helpful. So let's make it practical. If I'm understanding correctly, um, today is Dr. Martin Luther King's birthday. We celebrate it tomorrow, but I, I, if I'm understanding correctly, today is his birthday, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And so think of this analogy. Imagine there's a person who marches for civil rights on Sunday. And imagine then that same person watches racist movies the rest of the week. Imagine if that same person uses racist language as they go about their day, school or work. Imagine that same person listens to racist radio stations as they commute in their car. And everybody in this room knows where I'm going with this, right? I'll just keep going, though. Piling on. What would you call someone who goes and they do the civil rights thing on Sunday, but then throughout the week they play racist video games? Who gives more money to racist organizations than organizations that are dedicated to civil rights causes? Would you call that person a civil rights advocate? Of course not. 
course not. Now, I'm not a linguist, but if I understand correctly, as I was reading my sources here, the literal interpretation of what the disciples encountered in that boy, the literal interpretation from the Greek is it was an unclean spirit. And that made me very uneasy as I was thinking on all these things. Because I was thinking about that, that, that civil rights analogy. I was thinking how these are literally unclean spirits. And then the jump naturally went to, wow, what unclean stuff is in my life. Because am I making my life and my home comfortable for unclean spirits? Do you see how that, that, that jump goes? And so here's some questions that I ask myself and, and I would encourage you to ask as well. In fact, something you may want to do is you may want to go and do an inventory at home and in your life, yourself, your family, your friends. Who would feel more at home with your movie choices? Christ or an unclean spirit? Who would feel better when sitting down and watching this movie, right? Who would feel more at home with the way that we talk about others? Christ or an unclean spirit? Who would be more likely to have the same presets on your car radio? Christ or an unclean spirit? Who would be more pleased with your bank statements? Christ or an unclean spirit? Who would be more prior, uh, pleased with the way you prioritize your calendar? Christ or an unclean spirit? May I present to you that there's sometimes a very practical problem that we have, and that is we're saying, hey, Clay Matthews, come here. Here's Eli Manning. Just come and run him over. <laughs> we're making his path wide instead of hard. And so as we yell, hey, I'm going to bind you with these chains, he's just using them for exercise, you know, CrossFit, instead of it having any effect because we're making a home for that. The scripture makes it clear that our choices affect the effectiveness of our prayers. Here's just two examples. I included these in your notes, and I gave you the references in your notes. So you can go and fact check me on this. Because do I believe, as we sang earlier, that holiness is Christ in us? Yes. May I also present to you that the devil would love you to stop there and not to look at your lifestyle? Yes. So here's two examples of this. James 4.3. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motive. Sometimes that's a reason that we've got a bondage in our life, that the bondage is actually our motives are messed up. And instead of examining our motives, we're praying for God to give us something that is not good. Here's another example. I don't know if you can get more direct than this. 1 Peter 3.12, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. His ears are open to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Again, it's not about being perfect because the only righteousness we have comes through Christ. And if it's a sincere conversion to Christ, it's going to affect because Jesus himself says, repent, repent. And I'll help you with that. I'm going to send my spirit to empower you. I'm going I'm to guide you to become part of a, a church where you can have brothers and sisters that are cheering you on. But don't leave your door wide open and say I'm on vacation and there's no security alarm here. I've got my valuables down the hall to the right. But you have no authority here. Don't do that. Don't do that. All right. Well, let's turn a corner. For some, your breakthrough might be the first piece of, hey, what God is convicting me of is carving out time so I can learn and discern God's will and I can know his ways. Some of you, it might be, you know what? I just got to go do that inventory. I got to cast some stuff out. Some of you, it might be this. 
Number three, don't concede victory to a defeated foe. Can I get an amen on that? This sometimes might, this might be your thing as we're talking today. Your thing might be this. I've given up. I've given up. May I say it? Don't concede victory to a defeated foe. Another error that I've seen people make when it comes to casting out is to assume they should give up praying if the strong man doesn't budge. You know, maybe it's the Lord's will for me to suffer. Maybe it's the Lord's will. (sighs) Careful. Don't concede victory to a defeated foe. The example in John 9 that I put, I'd encourage you to look that up at some point. Um, There's an example of, of somebody whose healing didn't come for years and years and years and years and years. It was a timing thing there. Maybe there's a timing thing. I don't know. Um, I came across this quote in that book about leadership that I referenced earlier. And I hope this gives hope to those of you who, like me, were praying for people. We've been praying for them for years and years and years and years and years. Or we've been praying for a breakthrough for years and years and years and years. The quote is this. They say there's this guy, George Mueller. And he was asked if he really believed that the two men uh, would be converted, men whom Mueller had prayed for for over 50 years. Mueller replied, do you think that God would have kept me praying all these years if he did not intend to save them? May I present to you maybe one of the reasons that God has you continuing, giving you that burden to keep praying is so that in his timing, God's going to be glorified in that way. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't concede too early. Earlier we read that Jesus has authority over how many diseases and afflictions? Every, all of them. The same is true for every power and principality. The scriptures invite us to pray, so pray. Pray for healing. Pray for deliverance. Ask for daily bread. Pray for those who are lost and hurting. Ask, seek, knock, and gather. The Bible says gather people to pray with you. Gather. Be obedient to that. Don't concede victory to a defeated foe. Now, that brings us to this last one. And this last one, I wish... There were more hours in a week because I, I was not able to put this into words. And so I'm just hoping and praying that the Holy Spirit is going to make this one make sense to those of you who need this because a number of you, this is yours, this next one. The first three have really been truth, 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 truth. This one is grace, 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 grace. And there's so many of you who need to receive this grace today. Here's how as best I could I worded it, and I'll try to unpack it as best I can. The way I word it in your notes is this. Keep your eyes on Christ all the way to the end. Keep your eyes on Christ all the way to the end. All the way to the end of your life, but also all the way to the end of his. All the way to the end of his. Keep your eyes on Christ. There is a sizable portion of our church family right now who are facing strong men who are bigger than them. And there's an accuser who is pointing fingers at them directly in their mind through other people to say it's your fault. You haven't prayed the right way. You haven't prayed hard enough. You don't have enough faith. There must be some unconfessed sin. You haven't taken authority. You're not doing something right. And may I, on the authority of the word of God, say, it is likely that's not the case. And some of you directly, I could talk to you, and if I knew you, I would say it's not the case. That that's the accuser, that is not the Holy Spirit. Sometimes, is it that you're being stupid? Yes. Stay out of the bars if you're an alcoholic. You know, that's a different category than what I'm talking about here. 
Many of you have been faithfully seeking God in prayer, in the word, and fasting. Many of you, you are quick to confess sin as soon as the Holy Spirit brings, you, brings it to your mind. And the answer that you long for hasn't come yet. Why do I say keep your eyes on Christ all the way to the end? Because some of you need to hear it's not you. It's not about you not praying enough or spending enough time in the word or fasting long enough. It's not about some unconfessed sin or penance that is yet to be paid in full. I actually had, and some of you know this story, I actually had when I was in college during the la- what turned out to be the last year of my dad's life, I had, a, I had a coach, a Christian coach, who had the audacity to say, the reason your dad hasn't been healed of his cancer is because you haven't taken authority over that cancer in Jesus' name. I have never come so close to throwing down with a coach or anybody. Well, that's not true. I did throw down with some kids. But, but, and as an adult, I have never been so close to throwing down as I was right there. And after the service, I ended up having a conversation with somebody. They're like, yep, same thing. This time with my kid. These people telling me, the problem is you. If we look at the life of Jesus... We see perfect holiness. We see Jesus taking authority over every strong man that came against him. And, and, if we keep our eyes on Jesus to the end of his life, we also see this. There's a place to write this in your notes. While the Bible is explicit regarding the unparalleled power in the name of Jesus, the Bible is also clear that Christ knows what it's like to feel forsaken in a fallen world. Can I get an amen? Look at Jesus. Follow him to the end of his life. Follow him to the garden where we read in Mark 14. Jesus said to his disciples, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going further, he fell on the ground and he prayed, if it's possible that this hour might pass from him. He said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And did that cup of suffering pass from him? Those of you know the rest of this story, if you followed him to the end, it did not. Did Jesus do something wrong? Did Jesus have any unconfessed sin in his life? Was the issue that he hadn't prayed enough? That he hadn't read the Bible enough? That he hadn't fasted enough? Was there a lack of of faith on Jesus' part? Was there a failure to recognize the authority that he had over every disease, every affliction, every power, every principality? No. And when we sing about the idea that holiness is Christ in me, his perfection is imparted to us as we receive him. When we become his child, we have that same perfection in the heavenly realms. Jesus was without sin. Jesus' life was in perfect alignment with the will of his father. He was prayed up. He was fasted up. He was scripture-ded it up. And yet, there was a period of time when he cried out, as many of us have, Mark 15, 34, end of his life. At the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And one of the beautiful and brilliant 
things. If you want to know why I think the scripture is the inspired word of God, is how does it all fit together? How did Jesus say those things? And yet, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years earlier, these words were written. Psalm 22, and I'm linking this. Jesus said in Matthew 15, my God, my God, if you're sick, I mean, all kinds of things are happening around him. Psalm 22, look what was going on. The cry of humanity from the beginning of time. My God, my God, why have you? forsaken me. Your, your life is going to bring you to that point. Unless you're in denial. It's going to bring you to that point sometime. Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry day by day, but you do not answer me. And by night I find no rest. Those who see me mock me and they say, trust in the Lord, let him deliver him. A company of evildoers surrounds me. They pierced my hands. They pierced my feet. They divide my garments among them for my clothing. They cast lots. Can Jesus relate to any of that? The word says he was tempted as we were, yet he was without sin. He suffered. He died. He felt these things. Jesus can relate to our temptations. He can relate to our pain that we experience on this side of heaven, even as people who walk in victory. And I hope the Holy Spirit can help you understand then what I mean when I say keep your eyes on Jesus because we've got to in a world like this. In those times when it doesn't make sense, in those times when the accuser comes and even though we're as fallen people doing what's right, the accuser says it's your fault and it's not. This is a much bigger world than our little piece of it, right? But that little piece of it, God cares about intensely. Intensely. And I want to have the worship band come up at this time. And, and, and let me just close with this. I was going to show a video today. And for a number of reasons, we opted not to show the video. But it's there in your notes if you want to go look at it. Let me tell you what the point was I was trying to make. Because it's very easy to, to, to not see the point. In the video, it's this meant to be a humorous video where there's the proverbial couch with a guy and a girl who are in relationship with one another. And it's exaggerated to the point of silliness where she has a nail sticking out of her head. And she's, she's sharing with her, her man. She's saying, hey, I've got this pressure and I've got this pain. And he's looking at her and he's going, get the nail out of your head. And she's going, hey, it's not about the nail, right? It, it, you, you, you always want to fix me. You don't want to listen. And so it's this, meant to be this discussion thing, right? Here's what Jesus can do. He is grace and truth. And there are times where we need the truth to look at us and say, the problem's the nail. Quit doing this stupid thing, right? Do we need that sometime? Who else needs that sometime? Okay, I'm not just talking, right? But there are other times when it's not something you can just pluck from you. And you need that person who understands, who can listen, who can, you say, I've tried everything. And they can sit with you and they can hear you and they've been there. And why do we know that Jesus knows about nails? Because he's been there. Now, here's a challenge that I didn't offer the congregation at 915 that I wish I would have, that I can now offer to you. Not only do I want to encourage you to seek out that Christ who gets it and wants to help you overcome these strong men, let's be Jesus. Because isn't that what we're supposed to be? Full of grace and truth. So let's pray to that end, and then we're going to close with this song of response. Father, thank you, thank you, thank you that you love us this way. 
that you love us to bring us deeper and deeper and deeper, that you love us enough to say, here are the strong men, and you give us all of these examples and teachings. And then you don't just say, now go sort it out, but you sent your Holy Spirit to to help us as individuals, to help us as a community. May we be your children. Even as we sing this song, may we be your, your child, God. May we also be your children. May we be your family who loves and supports and encourages and challenges one another in this fallen world. In Jesus' name, amen.